When did date night become just another night in front of the TV? When did date night become answering Jeopardy questions but not answering each other's questions? When did date night just stop happening? Whether you've been married for 60 years or have just started your relationship, connecting can be difficult. But don't worry, you are not alone in this, even if people may not talk about it openly. Let us teach you techniques that can bring you and your partner closer together. Our date night series is designed to help partners understand each other's communication behaviors, teach couples to connect meaningfully, learn to listen, connect, and build appreciation within the relationship. We know that schedules can be hard to coordinate, so we are offering this series at two different times. Wednesdays, beginning March 3rd, continuing March 10th, 17th, and 24th at 8 p.m., and Saturdays, beginning March 6th, 13th, 20th, and 27th at 10 a.m. If you're looking for a special gift to give this Valentine's Day, why not give the gift of deeper connection and understanding? The price per couple for the whole series is $50, and this will cover the cost of the disc report for two people. We only have space for 25 couples, so claim your spot early. For more information, visit OurCommunityListens.org. Welcome to the Our Community Listens podcast, where we strengthen relationships and build stronger communities through listening, leadership, care, and service to create truly human connection. Learn and partner with us as we imagine a society in which people care about each other first. Explore more at OurCommunityListens.org. Welcome to the Our Community Lessons Podcast. My name is Adam Salgat, and with me today is Mike Disparis from Midland, Texas. Mike, how are you doing today? Adam, I'm doing fantastic. How are you today? I'm pretty excited today because you've introduced me to someone that I've been chatting with. We've been chatting with for about a half hour, and I tell you what, I'm, I'm really excited to hear more stories and to hear more about the inspiration that he, that he lends to these kids, to many other people that he's been working with. So our guest today is Joe White. He's the owner of Coach Joe White 97 Consulting. Uh, Mike, before we invite Joe in here, I want to hear you give me a little bit of an intro on who Joe White is and why he means so much to you. Absolutely. So I've been really excited about getting this podcast scheduled and having Coach White come on and giving us some insight on his experiences of going through the communication skills training. Um, And he was also one of the very first people to go through the virtual experience that we've had. But here's what's really cool about Coach Joe White. So he has a huge successful background in Colorado as a baseball coach and as a football coach and as a teacher. But he is also my former teacher in high school and coach and someone I also was able to coach under for a period of time. So when I had the honor of having him in our uh, CST class and facilitating him, it's kind of like this, Adam, are you ready? The mentee became the mentor. (laughs) I was really excited to share that experience with him because he's such a good guy and he has meant so much to me through life. 
and our experiences. And I'm just glad we still have connection uh, many, many years later. So without further ado, I'd say we, let's bring Joe on. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, you, And you are right. You became my, you are my mentor now, um, <laughs> trying to do what I'm doing, which is kind of crazy how that's flipped over 30 years. Uh, got to coach you 30 years ago, and that was a special time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, Joe, we're so excited to have you. I've, I've been talking you up to Adam for a long time because he's a huge sports fan, absolutely huge baseball fan. Let's start off with just some like basic questions and tell us about like your experience in your career in education as a teacher and a coach, but why you chose that road and how it's kind of shaped you to shape kids' lives. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, When I first started, after I got done playing baseball, I worked for a big food company called Beatrice Hunt Wesson. And I spent about nine months driving 36,000 miles to 120 different grocery stores and calling on these grocery stores, seven, about seven grocery stores a day and doing my store checks and all that. And I just felt like I wasn't doing anything for anybody. And um, I was really kind of lost really where I was in life and didn't, didn't really have a purpose at that point in terms of my career or what I wanted to do for people. And uh, they actually offered me a promotion and a raise. And I answered them by saying, here's your car keys back to my company car. And <laughs> I've decided I'm going to go back to school because I had a marketing degree and I'm going to go back and get my teaching license. And And that's what I did. And I had to work at UPS at night, loading trailers and doing all that stuff to work myself through that. But it was the best decision I ever made. The first education class I ever took, I knew that that was going to be my passion because I had a chance to have a, an impact on people. And that's what I really enjoy doing. And that's what I really enjoy about ed- the education world is every single day, um, you have an opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. And, and, and what, you know, not every job can say that. I think every job could do that, but I don't think people look at it that way. That's such a great introduction and kind of understanding how you got your start in education and coaching. What would you say your favorite thing is coaching, teaching, connection with kids? And I know that you're retired now, but you still do a lot of work and you still even coach at the high school that you retired from. But what would you say your favorite thing is on working with kids? Just again, it's that opportunity to make a difference in their lives, to try to see them go out and do great things in our world. Um, I always said this with, you know, in terms of our, our baseball program, we deemed our success by where our kids were 5, 10, 15, 20 years after they played for us. Um, were they successful in the community? Were they successful husbands and fathers and, and, and business people and lawyers and doctors and whatever they else became? And, and knowing that maybe we had a small part of that uh, when they played for our program or they were in my class or whatever it might be, that we might have had a small part of their success and what they're doing now. And the success of our program was how much of a connection we still had with those people 5, 10, 15, 20 years from when they played for us or when I went to have them in class or whatever it might be. So it's just that opportunity to inspire and help influence people in the right way. And I I think that was always one of the biggest things for me was the inspiration. And it wasn't just on the baseball field. I remember you would come to my wrestling matches or you'd see us at our football games or, you know, in the hall and having conversations. And it was always about, you know, do you have to work tonight? Oh, you're working at Domino's. Sweet. Bring me a pizza. But are you going to make the best pizzas possible? 
And it was always just that inspiration drive that you had that kind of lit the fire inside kids to do more than maybe they normally would. Um, and I, yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think that's what it's about, right? I mean, it's about trying to get people to be better than what they even thought they could be. I call it the light bulb moment as an educator and, and, and it's any kind of leader, business leader, educational leader, athletic leader, whatever it is, is we're always trying to get that light bulb to come on. We want that light bulb to say, oh, I can do this and I can even do better than what I thought I could do. And uh, we can get more into that a little bit later, but that's, that's, again, I just love that opportunity. I'd be driving home. I'd be driving to school in the morning and just be thinking about different kids and how I can help them and how I can help them get over humps and, and do all these different things that maybe will, will inspire them to be better than what they thought they could be. And that was so exciting for me. You know, Adam, one of the big things we hear in education is like this term lifelong learners. And some people use it and say it because it's kind of like the popular thing to say, Oh, I'm a lifelong learner and I'm always learning how to improve and get better. And coach white has always kind of lived that motto before it ever became kind of a popular term. <laughs> right. And I know it because even today, like he'll email me, like, did you read this article? Have you read about this person? Have you seen this blog? Here's a cool podcast. Have you seen this book? And it's constantly always trying to get better. And when coach came into our class, the communication skills class, I was thinking, okay, what could he possibly learn from this that he doesn't already live? So I'm going to ask both of you, Adam. Sure. I know you've been in the class and you've been surrounded by a lot of the material at times. But what was your favorite skill, Adam, that you learned in class? And then, Coach, I'm going to ask you the same thing and see how we can kind of all tie our thoughts together on that. I'll jump in here first, Joel. Mine was silence because I was so used to just replying back or giving my opinion or giving a solution or just jumping in and, and acting yeah. as though I knew what they needed to hear, right? But there are times when maybe my wife, and she's the best example in my life of needing to just let there be silence because she needs to share whatever's on her mind. If it's something that's frustrating her, or it's something that she needs to figure out. Um, she doesn't need me to give my opinion and solution. <laughs> she doesn't need that every time. She just she doesn't, and we've talked about it. And I try to take a moment and step away from it. So one of the biggest things for me when I when I left the class was learning to be quiet. You know, I started a podcast because I like to talk. So learning to be quiet is a pretty big skill for me. So yeah. taking the time to, uh, to do that was important. I love how you tied that to your wife in the relationship and the importance of that, right? Like that's a really cool piece. So uh, Joe, what is yours? What, what is one of the skills you taught or that you just, I know we learn a lot, but what is one of the favorite I'll be honest. It's kind of along the same lines because as a, as an educator, as a teacher and a coach, one of the reasons you do it is because you love to help people. You love to help kids. You like to help solve problems. You like to, to do those things. And there were so many times when I really self-reflected during the class, how many times where I would, I, I wanted to jump in and solve problems for, for people instead of just listening to people. And what people really want you to do is listen. I've learned that a lot with my own kids. Mm -hmm. Instead of jumping in and trying to solve the problem right away, just listen, just let them talk, let them vent, let them do what they need to do. 
And that has really, really kind of opened my eyes that you don't always have to be the problem solver. You know, you can just be the person that is listening to the problem and let people solve it kind of themselves. And and that's what we always want is people to have ownership, right? To be accountable. And when people, when you empower them by listening to them and intently listening to them and showing them that you care when you listen to them, it helps and empowers them to be able to help solve their own problems. It gives them some tools to think it through as they're talking to you. So it taught me to use the two holes on the side of my head more than the one hole in the front of my head. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I will say um, my favorite skill that I've learned is not silence. I'm still learning it. <laughs> yeah. I have to be a whole lot better at it. Yeah, it's hard. I learned really quick that oftentimes I was thinking about what to say rather than yes. truly listening in that silence mm-hmm. part to, Yep. to really figure out what the other person was trying to tell me. So that's still a huge work in progress for me. I think if I had to tie to my favorite one that attracted me immediately was probably just empathy and the real difference between empathy and sympathy and what human mm-hmm. connection really is. Having a background in special education and behavior, I think that's kind of what just touched my heart and saying, oh yeah, I kind of get that. Like before we do anything, it's really about relationships and connection first. No doubt. And tell us what is the difference between empathy and sympathy? Because I 100% agree. I think empathy is the strongest word in the English language. And I wish we had more of it in our country. You know, that's a that's such a good question and such a thought. And I think there's kind of the answer that we have learned in class and what we see. And then there's also kind of our own personal reflections of the difference between empathy and sympathy. So I'll give you my own personal reflection. I think empathy is someone doing the very best they can to just try to understand where that other individual is at in their life. Not that they have had the same experiences, not that they will ever have the same experiences, but just try to sit inside their heart and their feelings in all that area. And to me, sympathy is like someone trying to tell them it's going to be okay tell them a story about a similar experience that they had, but not sit in the feelings where that person is at. And I don't think people ever mean it intentionally or mean. I think it's just how people are used to using it to think it's the right thing to do. You know, when my dad was dying of cancer, people would tell me stories about their family members dying of cancer or whatever rather than just to sit. And I don't think any of them meant ill intent. They wanted to call. They wanted to check in on me. So I think like growing empathy in people and having people really understand the difference is a huge thing that we can do. And in society today with all the stuff that's been going on, you know, with COVID and everything else, it's a big part of where where we just need to focus and be at. I think you hit the nail on the head, but I, I look at it like this. I, I drive to the grocery store the other day there's a guy standing there with his wife and two kids with holding a sign saying, I, you know, I need money. I have family here and I don't have a job and blah, blah, blah. And I, I look at it. Sympathy would be, I drive by and I say, Oh man, I feel bad for that guy. And I keep going and I go get my groceries and I come back and I drive by him again. I say, Oh, that just stinks. That guy's, but empathy makes me act. Right. So when I put myself in that, in that guy's shoes and I say, what if that was me with my family standing there? Mm-hmm. 
you know, and all of a sudden I'm into his shoes. Right. Now, all of a sudden, when I drive back by him after I go to the store, I roll my window down and I hand him some food or I hand him some money to help him out. So I think empathy makes you act. Sympathy makes you think. And I, and I, I look at it like um, empathy. This is what the class described it as. Empathy is, a, is feeling with people. You're with them. You're in their shoes. So when people, when your father was passing from cancer, empathy would say, oh, they must be going through a hard time. I'm going to bring a dinner to them. It makes them act on it instead of sitting there saying, well, my dad went through the same thing, blah, 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 blah. Again, there's that trying to fix it, find a solution, try to make it better thing. But empathy just makes you act. That makes any sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. Adam, I'm I'm interested to hear your take on that because we've had so many conversations around empathy with multiple folks. I've never heard of as the, you know, acting and I really like that. It's simple and easy to learn, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of truth to it. What are your thoughts, Adam? I agree. I really like that breakdown. And I had never really thought about it in that way, to be honest. Look, Joe's here teaching us. He's, he's, a, <laughs> he's a teacher, this guy, I tell you. You have such a good point because, and Mike, in your case, when people were talking about it and sharing their stories, I think of that kind of uh people do those things because it just feels like the thing to do. Like you, you, sh- you say it, you share it. It's almost like it's become part of our natural reaction, you know, like, Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what we had to go through. And so, you know what I mean? So it's not like they're trying to one up. It's just that they don't know what else to say. And sometimes like we already talked about silence is the way to go. But in that silence, when you put yourself in their shoes and you get to that empathy state, like you said, Joe, gives you the opportunity to act. And I think you're right. I think it, it makes a, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. All right. So here's the big question. I want us all to think about Adam's got little ones at home. Joe, you got older ones in a teenager. <laughs> I got two teenage girls, right? So not just like outside kids that we work with, but our own kids too. The skills that we learned in class, sometimes with people who are closest to us in our life are more difficult to do than in the outside. Would y'all agree with that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what is in your most vulnerable state, (laughs) your most difficult skill to try to practice at a daily life inside your households? That's a tough one. And I'm I'm asking everyone to be vulnerable. So, and and I'll start if you want me to. I can start. Okay. For me, it's listening. For me, it's, it's breaking it down to where, um, the people in my family just need me to listen, not fix. And they need, they need a sounding board. They need somebody that they can trust. They need somebody that they can rely on to just listen and, and be actively listening. And then when they need the advice, they're going to ask me for the advice. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. instead of me throwing my advice out all the time, which I do because I'm an educator and I'm a fixer and I want to be a fixer and I can't stand when people are feeling bad. I, I, it, it does something to me inside when someone's feeling low, you know, I want to fix it right away. Yeah. I, for me, it's like waiting for them to ask for the advice instead of giving the advice. That makes sense. Yep. So mine has been the Moravian communication model where we have to think about our body language, our tone and our words when emotions tied to it. And so when I see one of my daughters upset 
like not going to that level upset, but trying to relax myself to be present for them or not raise my tone. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking about it. I have younger ones. So oftentimes it's, I feel like I'm in a constant teaching mode with them, you know, cause you're trying to right now, our two-year-old first thing she wants to do is, is hit her sister when she doesn't get the toy. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like we're constantly correcting and the idea of like, please don't hit your sister. And, but really I think it's one of the reflective listening skills and one of the uh, little tips that often is handed out is clearing the whiteboard of our mind because with being as busy as we are, most of us with work or life, uh, just taking care of the kids, managing the house, all of it. Right. So when I get the opportunity to spend time with just them, uh, to, let's say we'll go down to the basement to play. It's clearing that whiteboard and also putting the phone away. So I actually spend quality time that I actually pay attention to what they're saying. I, I give an understanding that what they're playing with is important, whatever toy, whatever doll, handing me fake ice cream, all this other stuff. So it, for me, it's that opportunity to slow down uh, and really try to focus on clearing, clearing my mind so I can be with them 100%. Because yeah. it's so easy. They're so young that you can kind of get away with little things that they don't point out to you too much. You know, they don't say, hey, you're not actually listening to me. They just move on to something else. Yep. So I try to recognize that now. So hopefully by the time they are older, there'll be a lot less instances of them feeling like they're not being heard. So yeah, well, that's a big part of the connection because they'll have the memories of like, oh, remember when we used to eat mud ice cream, (laughs) you know, like they'll remember that you might not, but they'll bring those things up and you'll be like, Oh, I was probably present for them. (laughs) Right. So it's really kind of an interesting thing. Joe, I want to kind of ask you this, but Adam, I'm going to come back to you too. So Adam's wife is a special education teacher in my special education background. I bring up her quite a bit or ask Adam to kind of fill in because it, it's such a needed area right now. And although we're not going to focus on the area of special ed, we're going to focus on teachers. So in education as a whole, when you think about everything the pandemic's done, virtual learning, not virtual learning, in school, out of school, it's hopped all over the nation in different places. What skill, if you could give one skill that you've learned, what would that be for teachers and coaches? Like if you could just, somehow embed that into every teacher and coach, what skill would you give them? To be honest with you, this I don't know if it's so much a skill or if it's just a mindset. Okay. It's a mindset of always remembering what your purpose is. Okay. What is what is your purpose for being a teacher? And it doesn't matter if you're teaching online or if you're teaching in the classroom, you still have a purpose. And the reason that you got into education was to help and serve others. So when we when we lose sight, I call it the noise. So when the noise hits us, so COVID is hit, and it's the noise. Whenever the noise hits is when we lose our purpose, right? Because all this other stuff is getting in the way. And all of a sudden, we're more worried about, well, I got to teach online. I got to do this assignment online. Or are we going to go back next week? If we go back, how am I going to structure my class? If we go back and some of the kids are at home and some of them, all the things that we can't really control, 
but we can control our purpose, a purpose of why we teach. And it happened to me about, I don't know, 10 years ago, uh, we, our county voted in a, a school board that was really anti-public education, if you can believe that. <laughs> and it was really hard. We lost so many good teachers that just bolted from our, our district because they just couldn't work for these people. I call it, they were, they were into data education instead of people education. And I think it's people, people education first over data education. And we lost a lot of teachers. Um, it was, it was, it was a bad time and I was in a bad place. And finally I just said to myself, I'm going to go in, I'm going to shut my door and I'm going to remember my purpose. And when I went, once I shifted my mindset back to my purpose, then I was happy again because I'm, I'm in my classroom with my kids realizing why I'm here yeah. and, and looking at their face. It's not their fault that that school board got voted in right. and it's, it's destroying our district. It's not the kids' fault right now that COVID hit and they have to be at home. Teachers want to be in the classroom just as much as the kids do, sure. but there's things that you can't control, but you can control Okay, you can control what your purpose is and remembering and staying with your purpose and why you're doing what you're doing. So, Adam, I'm going to hop in next because mine's very, very closely related um, to coaches. I, I feel like in the class, when we repeat the class motto over and over and we really talk about it, I've tried to just incorporate that into my life in thinking about those times when as Joe explained, when the noise hits or there's the issues or there's the problems, because that's really when we need it most, right? And it's, I am the message. And just thinking about my reaction to when the noise hits or when two situations are occurring is dramatically affecting those in the span of my care, whether it's people in OCL, whether it's educators I'm working with, whether it's my own kids, whether it's kids I work with outside, whatever capacity is just like being that message. And it's okay if they know that I'm struggling or hurting or like all the feelings that go with it, but trying to just be there for people as well, as well as to be there for myself. Interested. I'm interested to know your thoughts. Like if you, with what your wife has to bring home and talk about and all the work she does, what would you give teachers, Adam? You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure what I would give them other than what Joe kind of mentioned, the idea of like knowing your purpose and then what that does in my mind or what I kind of interpret it as is it reinstills confidence. It kind of brings you back to this idea of like, this is why I am doing what I'm doing and I am good at that. And I want to continue to do that. And I think that my wife on occasion we'll struggle in that space because it's hard sometimes to see growth, especially in special education. So I, I think just that reminder of you are good at what you do. You are strong. You, you will push through this, whatever comes ahead. You've been through it already. You know, she's 13 years in, so there's not much she hasn't seen. There's always these little things, but you know, so I think the idea of just giving them that confidence or like Joe said, reiterating, what is your purpose and why are you, why are you doing this? Love it. All right. So I think we're having really good discussion and I've been thinking about these questions and how to kind of ask this. I knew Joe a long time ago. So I was a sophomore in high school when he came to our school. And Joe graduated the same year as my sister. They were classmates. And even though it was a very, very large school, 
So here's what I'm going to ask. If you could take a skill that you've learned in class and go back to that time in high school, which one would you take? You only get one, but which one would you take with you to develop how you would how how it can continue to help you grow? Let's say. So I'll let you think about that for a moment. A skill that we learned in class. Yeah. So a skill you learned in class or strategy or maybe even like one of the concepts. But if you had the ability to go back to 10th grade, Joe White, Mm -hmm. 10th grade, Adam, 10th grade, Mike, what one would you give yourself that you would have to be able to use through those high school years, those college years, all those things that you kind of grew with knowing that you thought you knew everything when you're 10th grade. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tough question when you really think about it, but here's the reason why I bring that up. When I work with teachers, I always try to get them into the realm of where are their kids at, right? So it's not like preaching at them. It's trying to understand where they're at in that moment. What did it feel like when you were there? And it's very different for kids today than it was when we were in school, right? But we still know what those feelings are that we're constantly competing with, you know, our inner thoughts with, am I wearing the right clothes? And do I belong to the right clique? Do I have the right car? Do I have, you know, is my hairstyle the right way? Like all those things that kind of come into play are even more so on those minds. So what skill do you think you would give yourself? You give you get one. I would say that mine would be uh, confrontation. Because 10th grade year specifically for me, like there was, um, you know, you're in 10th grade and you were just kind of running through these ideas of like what's important to them at the time. At that time, I, uh, there was a girl I liked who ended up liking somebody else. What that ended up doing for me was actually really beneficial was because it helped me break out of my shell when she didn't, uh, you know, like me back in that way it broke me out of my shell. And honestly, like that is what made a big difference moving forward in my high school years. And honestly has made a big difference in my life. Not just that one like singular moment or relationship. There's been a lot of things that built on them, but the power of confrontation or the, the ability to effectively share what's, what is troubling you with someone I think that would be a great skill to have as a young adult. So I may not have used it in that situation exactly, but I know I would have used it early college years, dealing with friends, dealing with cliques, dealing with relationships. It would have been much better to have the ability to form our feelings around what what's actually affecting us as opposed to just saying you're pissing me off. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, or I'm sad and I'm just going to go silent, you know, kind of thing. It would have been the the ability to confront people with a constructed, with, with some type of a constructed form. I can't think of that word there, but the ability to confront them would be, I think pretty important for a young adult. And a young adult, Adam. Adam, I that would be a wonderful skill for all kids to have. And I agree with you. I think that would be a perfect one to take back into time, thinking about a lot of the times I didn't confront well or avoided confrontation. Yeah, right? avoided. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think what mine would be would really be able to take that idea of the personal recognition statement, right? So the feelings 
the behavior and the impact, but using it for the positive and finding ways like with friends, teammates, classmates to interject those more because I don't think I knew how to support each other really well, unless it was like a big thing. So like I congratulate you if you did something good on the sports team, you know, or maybe you got a good grade, but sometimes it's the littlest things that kids need the most support in. And we're not always good building that up as a kid. And so I think like that would have been a really cool tool to have back when I was a sophomore in high school. Joe, what about you? Anything come to mind? Can I use when I was a sophomore in high school with sports? You can sure. use that. Okay. It's your tool. For, for me, being a better teammate, when I played sports growing up, you know, I was so intense and so competitive that I was always, I wasn't always a, the best teammate. So, and I, I, I'm, I'm an anti-conflict person by every stretch of the word, anti-conflict person. But when I was playing, when I stepped between the white lines, it was a lot different for me. I, I kind of became a different person and wasn't always the greatest teammate to my to my buddies out there playing. If someone make an error or something, I would stare them, stare them down. Or if an umpire made a bad call, I was just thinking about that this morning. I remember this umpire I had in when I was in high school. He's a great umpire, but I, I I know I rubbed him in the wrong way, and I still feel bad about it today. So learning how to be a better teammate, to be able to lift my teammates up instead of probably bringing them down a lot because of how I reacted to certain negative things that would happen. I, I wasn't always great at, at figuring those things out at that age. As a coach, I have a question for you. Each kid is going to get motivated with different communication styles. Mm -hmm. So you may change your communication style multiple times a day depending on which kid you're talking to and, and what it is that they're, they're going through now. I mean, that's the same as if they were in the classroom, I suppose, you know, certain kids respond to rewards differently than they respond to, I don't know, you know, a negative, like you're going to lose this as opposed to you're mm. going to get this, you know, some kids respond differently. What's it, what's it like being a coach and knowing that you could change your communication style within minutes, just depending on who you're talking to and, and how difficult can that be? I don't think it's difficult if, if you are in tune with who you are and who they are. Gotcha. Right. Um, you need to, you need to understand who your players are and your kids in your class are. You need to get to know them. My first day of class where most teachers would go into their first day of class and they would do the, here's the syllabus, here's our class rules, here's this and this and this. My first day of class was, I didn't do any of that. My first day of class was I had every kid one by one stand up, tell us who they are, where they're from, places they've lived, one, one interesting fact about them, um, and those things. So each kid did that. And a lot of kids sometimes, you know, they were a little shy getting up there, and I would help them through it then, right? So I would ask the question to them, but the other kids would get up and they just start you know, talking about where they're from and all that stuff. For me, that was getting to know my kids. I wanted to know them at a different level. What was one interesting thing about you? Well, I had some kids that were fencers in class. What? Fencing? I didn't know anything. Well, you know, I couldn't believe that there was kids who were actually into fencing in my class. It was very interesting for me. I am a person that gets very interested in you. What makes you tick? What makes you who you are? And when I could do that the first day of class 
it also showed the kids because I did that I really cared about them. I want to get to know you on a different level, not just as a student teacher, but as a person. I want to know what what makes you happy. What make what do you do on the free time that's your passion that we can talk about sometime during class? And um that that's what was exciting for me, right? I, I wanted to know about my players and my and my kids that I taught. I wanted to know what made them tick. I wanted to know where they're coming from. Because every single kid that you coach or teach is from somewhere different in terms of their home life, where they grew up, different things that they go through on a daily basis. They're all different and they all have their own story. And isn't it fun to understand and learn about people's story and what makes them who they are? That's so interesting to me. And, it, and that shouldn't be just in education, though. I think that should be in the business world and in, in, in the real world. If you're, if I'm a leader in a business, I should get, I should want to know my people. I want to yep. get to know them on a different level so that when I do need to communicate with them and I have to do it, use a different communication style, whatever it might be, I'm, I'm better equipped to do that because I know them more than just as a boss employee. Yep. Right. Yeah. I know them as a coach and a player. That's, that's how I look at it. I, there's a big difference between a coach and a boss. A coach is someone that is a people first person that really cares about their people in terms of who they are, where they're from, where they're going and all those different things. And we want to see coaches want to see our people progress all the time. Right. So that's why I wanted to get to know my players at a different level. I always remember young coaches would come in and they would say they would start getting on a player, you know, in the coach's office. Well, this kid's not doing this. He's got a bad attitude. And I would always say, hey, stop. You don't know what's happening in that kid's life when he goes home. You know, it might be an alcoholic home. Yeah. I mean, my, every night he goes home and there, there might be something that's a problem there. You know, or his parents are teaching him to be selfish because they, they, they don't understand it. Either. You don't right. know what that kid's going home to every night. But again, teaching my young coaches, that's the opportunity you have as a coach to help them understand what it's like to be a part of a team, what it's like to have someone care about them, what it's like to do those things. You have the opportunity to do that on a daily basis. How exciting is that? You know, Adam, I had, uh, so coach white, he taught business classes and I didn't really have a lot of interest in going into business classes. <laughs> and I remember him talking to me when I was a junior or in between my sophomore and junior year, and he was coaching us in summer baseball. He's like, I think you should take, you know, like business 101 or whatever that intro kind of class was. It'll be fun. You'll like it. I don't know. He's like, well, I'm teaching it. Like, you'll enjoy it. I promise you, you'll walk out knowing something about business. It'll be good. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't really want to, you know, go into business and college <laughs> and all that. And he's just like, I promise you, it'll be good. And he has a way of teaching class where you learn the content of business, right? And everything that he was delivering, but why it's important in your life in teaching the emotional um, intelligence skills or the social emotional learning skills that we now call an education that connected kids, not just to the content, not just to the other kids in class, but also to him. And like, he's won several state championships in baseball, several in football as a football coordinator and he never talked about it. But what's really cool is all these plaques and awards and letters that he has from kids over the years that have connected to him. You know, and he does a podcast and 90% of the podcasts he does are 
someone who's a famous country singer because he used to teach them. And I used to coach <laughs> this guy and now he plays for this team. And this guy's gone on and become a lawyer. And this guy's written five, like it's phenomenal. The reach that he has had in the reach is also just like begun with what he tries to do and the skills and being that lifelong learner. And that's kind of the biggest, best message he has. Well, you know, I appreciate the the kind words. I mean, that that's really humbling to hear. But for me, it was this. It was very simple. And I think this should go into business world, in educational world, and everything else. I wanted my kids to want to come to class instead of feel like they have to come to class. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to say, oh, I get to go to Mr. White's class now. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to teach it at a different level in terms of I care about you. So I would show what I call perspective videos. There's a guy named, there's a kid named Adam Bender who, who lost his leg when he was one years old, uh, had cancer in his leg and they had to uh, amputate his leg and ended up playing baseball and football and wrestling and all this stuff with one leg. He would literally hit the ball and hop to first base. And sometimes when kids would come into my accounting class, I'm like, okay, we're going to start with this today. And I would show that video to the kids. Why? Because I wanted them to see see the world in, in different light, right? I wanted them to have a perspective in life that it could be worse and that I can do this. And then the, so, uh, you know, all of a sudden kids are like, well, I wonder what he's going to do today. Right. You know, and we would get to our accounting and our kids would learn our accounting. And the greatest thing was when I had kids graduated from college with accounting and, and send me an email saying, thank you. I know it was just basic accounting, but it really got me started on the right track. And and those are the things that you really, you know, appreciate as a teacher and as an educator, but just trying to make it different, trying to put it on, on a level of, I really do care about you. And I, I, I call it the I statements. You always use the I statements with kids. How can I help you? What can I do to, to help you with through this problem? Um, I understand all those different I statements show a person or show a kid that you really do care about them. And it's because I did. It's not because it was fake or anything like that. It's because I really do care about you as a person. When I, when I get a call from a kid and, and he just got a promotion or a raise or he just got a new job, I just talked to a kid I coached about 20 years ago. And he's heading up a human resource department for a software company. And we spoke, we sat and talked for an hour and a half about different <laughs> things like this. And and that's the greatest joy I could ever have. Sounds like you were giving kids the opportunity to learn a lot in your class, not just learn accounting, but by showing them videos like that, you're giving them the perspective, like you mentioned, and you're teaching them the power of choice. You're teaching them the idea that you know, this, this young man could have went on to do different things. He could have said, I can never do this, but he chose to try and now look at what he's accomplishing. And hopefully that translated over to them. It sounds like it did for many of your kids. And uh, it sounds like the connections that you've made over the years have really paid off because if you weren't connected to them, they wouldn't be signing up to be on your podcast. They wouldn't be calling you to talk for an hour and a half because no, it's you know fun I mean? too. It's really fun. Yeah. It's, it's enjoyable. And, and I, I forgot to mention this, my first day of, of class, um, I'd also show a video of kids going to school in Africa. And it was a video showing kids going to a one, one school, a one room school with the dirt, dirt floor. And they would have to walk five or 10 miles barefoot to, to school. The old adage, you know, I walked, 
both ways up the hill with, in the snow, you know, when our parents used to say, but it's true in Africa, in some places in Africa. And I would show that, you know, that go to the bathroom, they have to go out to the latrine to get water. They had to walk two miles to a well to get water to bring back to the school. And I tell the kids, you know, you can walk across the hall and get a drink at a drinking fountain anytime you want to. Yep. You know, you're sitting here in front of $1,500 computers. You know, it's a privilege to be here. This is something different. When you walk into our into our school, it's something different. You're not walking into the mall. You're not walking. You're you're getting to gain as much knowledge as humanly possible here with all the tools and resources you possibly can. Look at these kids are dying to go to school there. So I wanted them to look at school and wanted them to look at their education in a different light. As a, again, it goes back to that opportunity piece. It, you know, I know I've probably people have heard this before, but it's an opportunity or an obligation. What are you looking at schools? An opportunity or an obligation? Uh, you know, do you look at life as an opportunity or an obligation? And when we start looking at things as an obligation, that's when we really get down. And that's really when uh, life gets really, really hard when things become an, an obligation. So, Adam, as we wind down this time that we've had with Coach White, which has been a great conversation I'd love to hear more stories and continue the conversations. I think we're about ready for our key takeaways for this. Um, but before we do, uh, Joe, if you'd be so kind to give us a little bit of um, insight into your podcast series in your website. And I also just kind of want to throw out a book if, if people are interested in knowing more about what um, Coach White's work is focused on. It's called The Three P's finding your purpose, perspective, and passion. And I know you can find it on your website as well as on Amazon. Can you go ahead and give us your website link? Yeah, my website is just uh, coachjoewhiteconsulting.com. And you can get on there and um, get a hold of me to come speak to your group or work with your group with culture building, leadership, team building, um, inspirational stuff, motivational stuff. I, I love doing that. Um, I'd love to work with your group. Um, my book's on my website. So when you get on my website, it pops up and you click it and get you right to the Amazon. I self-published it. You know, I'm not a professional writer, but I felt like I had a lot of things to say after 30 years of teaching and, and, and so forth. So that's really what I want to do now is, is really go out and speak and, and, and work with groups and stuff on, on that kind of stuff. So key takeaways for today's conversation and thoughts. I'll go ahead and be the leadoff batter since we've been talking baseball. I'll use a little baseball terminology on that. My key takeaway, and I think about this often in conversations that I have with Coach White, is just to continue to truly be that lifelong learner and to understand that I'm not at any peak. I'm not even close to the peak. Just keep climbing to not only be better for myself, but really to be better for the people in the span of my care. Adam, what about yours? It's something that Joe mentioned about remembering your purpose. When he shared his story about getting back into the classroom, taking a moment when he was going through some tough times about remembering your purpose and this idea of why am I doing what I'm doing? And uh, just reiterate that to myself. So we, so I have the opportunity to continue to push. What about you, Joe? Well, you know, and to go along a little bit more with that purpose part is just when your purpose, just remember this, when your purpose is greater than yourself, you'll find 
peace. And you'll find you'll find happiness in life. For me, to be honest with you, when I look back at the OCL class that I took with Mike and in, in um, the OCL group, the, the one thing I got out of that was this learn to listen. So I needed to learn to listen better. And it's one of the great things about taking that class is it helps you understand listening and at a different level. So learn to listen so that you can listen to learn. Right. Because we always want to learn more and more and more. I want to learn more today. So I know more today than I did yesterday. I want to grow more today so I can be better than I was yesterday. I want to progress more today so that I can be better than I was yesterday. And the only way to do that really is to learn to listen, learn how to listen better, learn how to listen intently okay? and, and have reflective listening. So after you're done listening, I call it list and learn. You can list what you've listened to, list it out and then learn from it. And then listen, when you're listening to people, listen to learn from them. Don't just listen to them, listen to learn something from them because you can get something from everybody that you're, you're talking to and listening to. So um, that's kind of why I, I do my people progressing podcast is because these people that I'm having on there do that on a daily basis. They're always progressing in their life. They're always trying to get better. They're always trying to learn and grow and progress. And um, that's what we want. And the way to, the first way to do that and the best way to do that is to learn how to listen. Learn how to listen and listen to learn. So Adam, you you can market Joe's quote, copyright it, put it down, and it it's learn good. to listen so you can listen to learn. Like we could sell that shirt, I think. Good. I think so. Yeah. Be a top seller. <laughs> you think I should make a shirt that says that? <laughs> Why not? I, I liked it. Like I wrote it down when you said that. Well, Joe and Mike, thank you both so much for being on the podcast today. It's been quite enlightening and I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. It was, it was awesome being on with you guys. I'm, I'm proud of both of you guys for getting out there and helping people. When people listen to stuff like this, the only, only, only thing it can do is help them and, and help them grow. So keep, keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing because it's perfect. It's awesome. As always, Adam, thank you. It's always a pleasure to share space with you. And it was quite an honor to have you, Coach. And I appreciate all that you've done for me and others as well, too. Engage on our website, explore learning opportunities, and connect with others. This podcast is brought to you by the Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities, which focuses on strengthening relationships, creating connection, and building community. Listen, lead, connect. <laughs>